Are you excited about serving the Lord? I hope you are. There's so many times that we can get caught up in our spiritual lives of uh, how are they doing, how am I doing, and we miss the actual reality. Are you excited about serving the Lord? Uh, and do people see that excitement in your life? Welcome to our service today, and I greet you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, the one whom I trust you're excited about serving. Before I go into the message today, um, just an announcement. Mary Jo had requested to transfer a membership to the Kitchy Pines congregation due to moving up in the area there. So if you have any input in regards to that, please let one of the ministry know. <clears throat> you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to be bouncing around the scripture today, and I understand if you have a, a child to take care of, uh, you don't need to feel compelled to turn to these different scriptures. I do feel like it is important to follow along, to read um, together so that we can remember the Word. You might forget everything I say, but don't forget the Word. This message is out of a burden of some events that happened in the last couple of weeks in the Mennonite Church. And I trust you can understand what I'm saying by the end of the message. <clears throat> There's a big group of individuals who come under the category of uncooperative patients. Painstakingly, the doctor outlines a detailed program of treatment. What medications and medicines are to be taken, how much, a list of permitted foods, a list of exercises, the kinds of baths that are taken. Uh, but it's all wasted. Like, you could just go in and say, save your breath, doctor, I'm not going to do it. Right? Uncooperative patients is what they're termed as. For the patient merely goes on eating what he pleases, taking his medicines when and if he remembers. And this is the number that they give. 90% of the population have leftover prescription medication. How many of you can relate? Alright. I can raise both hands, alright. Um, I had a neurologist that said I'm crazy. Uh, he should have said you're crazy in the head for not taking your head medication, right? But my epilepsy medication, I had, um, I think it's still sitting in the cupboard. Maybe we threw it out by now. Uh, absolutely essential in his mind to take. Uh, there's a lack of discipline in obeying orders. A lack of discipline in obeying orders. I know one doctor out in the Boston area has actually given up his profession of being a medical doctor out of frustration. He said, how, how can I keep helping patients who don't want to help themselves? Okay, you, you got this way because you're smoking, alright? Well, I got everything else in life right, but I'm smoking. And they won't give it up, and they have to give it up or they're not going to get better. Um, uncooperative patience. A lack of discipline to obey orders. That struck me. My message this morning is to obey is better than sacrifice. Friends, we know how to sacrifice. We know how to live a life that, I mean, this is what pleases God. You can see it in Scripture. And we can go out of our way to sacrifice, but to obey is better than sacrifice. 
There's a prayer in Acts chapter 9. It's not a professional prayer. It's not a thought through prayer. He doesn't close with, in Jesus' name, Amen. He doesn't start it with, Our Father which art in heaven. Not a professional prayer at all. But it is a fervent prayer. It's a prayer that many Bible versions of today have eliminated from the text. If you will read, and I, basically all versions have eliminated it. And that's sad. But the prayer is this. And Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That is a very earnest prayer. That is a connected prayer. Um, you see that many times in people who have rededicated their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. People who are new believers, a fresh believer. There's, I'm going to call them a connected believer who pick up this book and their prayer as they look at this book is, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And it's, and it's an earnest, they want to know. They want to know how they should live as a husband. They want to know how they should live as a wife. They want to know how they should think. It's an earnest desire. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Word of God is the basis for their action. Um, a lot of times, hey, we know the Word, right? We've been acquainted with it since we were born. And even before that, right? And the Word of God for many of us is the basis for a good discussion rather than the basis of actual action. What are you going to do about it? Um, That's a dangerous place to be when the Word of God is more of a discussion than it is I'm reading it because I'm learning how to act. This is the desire of the man who's praying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. You imagine what they think of and what they act on when they read this verse. Casting down imagination and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing into captivity every thought. Where do they bring it to? To the obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. These verses are proved by those who love the Lord with all their heart and their neighbor as themselves, those who are connected Christians, those who are holy in life, holy in thought. They're they're leaning forward in their Christian life, a connected Christian. And then there's another kind of Christian we want to talk about today as well. Um, This kind of Christian, this kind of person, is not the kind who's trying to bring captive every thought in his mind and trying to bring that to the obedience of Christ. This person will actually criticize people. This person will actually meditate. Actually, their minds are a mess. They're so cynical about others. The only one they're confident in is themselves. And that's the only one they shouldn't be confident, right? And we all get that way. We all get that way. Um, We all get our minds messed up. You say, well, no, not me. Okay? Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, lovely, of good report. You know what we find in even Mennonite circles, the people who smell right and look right, focus on things that are not of good report in others, and they grind it and they push it and they grind it and they push it. What do you think? Some of you look perplexed. 
Do you think you are a connected Christian where you're looking in the Word and saying, God, continue your work and change me? Or have you been a Christian so long and you got so much together that you are over here what I call a calloused Christian? And I mean a, you can put Christian in quotes, but a callous Christian is still sacrificing. They're still living. They're still doing. They're still being what they can be. They're throwing themselves into it. But it's proving that they can perform what they said they would perform. It's, there's a callousness when they pick up the word. It's all about what I want to think and how does it prove that I'm okay. And friends, the connected Christian is, is picking up this word and saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do, to act on? Uh, the callous Christian is summarized in Peter. When you, when you look at him, John 21, he looked over at Jesus, and then he looked over at John, and he said, but Jesus, what wilt thou have him to do? Right? That, that's a lot of times our focus, rather than looking at this book and saying, what wilt thou have me to do? Our minds get messed up. I missed one point of that. You know, I, I, I shudder sometimes at the way we come across as conservative people who are complaining who are complaining about the Democrats, and who are complaining about the government, and who are complaining about the ministry, and who are complaining about our dads and our moms and our mother-in-laws and our brother-in-laws and our son-in-laws, and, and we're... But we're godly people. I'm saying there's something wrong with that. We, we, we become a calloused Christian. Not a sensitive Christian. A connected Christian, the Word of God is for action. It's, it's about complete obedience. About aligning myself and saying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Show me in your Word. And like Eric said, show me through your brotherhood. And you know, it's, it's interesting when, when Paul prayed this. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Jesus told him, go into the city and it will be told you what you shall do. And who told him? Did God send a shining voice down? A, a loud voice, a thundering voice, and say, okay, now what you need to do. He didn't. He sent Ananias over there. The guy who you could criticize for being wimpy. He's like, Lord, haven't you heard? And God didn't say, ha, huh, never thought of that. Right? You could accuse him for being, yeah, come on, Ananias, put your neck on the line. And God used Ananias to give to Paul, this is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> now, a passion for perfect obedience. Friends, we need to be there. We need to have a passion for perfect obedience. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Um, now, I understand that in the day we live in, we look at a passion for perfect obedience. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do as old school? Grace is the new school. Because we live under grace, God winks at our failures because we're in Christ. It's actually exactly opposite of what Jesus says in His Word through Paul. He says the times in the past, 
God winked at the law for people in the past. It says, speaking of the time of the law and the times of ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. In the day of grace is the calling to walk in complete obedience. Not obedience, understand what I'm saying. The obedience of, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And not listening to a preacher to figure that out necessarily. Not listening to an evangelical book to figure that out. We have to be people of the Word. If we're not people of the Word, how are we ever going to be able to figure it out? Connected Christian, callous Christian. What is our makeup? Turn to Genesis chapter 4. Why do we... The burden of my heart is... There's many examples in Scripture of both camps. A callous Christian and a connected Christian. And I believe all of us here are in one of those camps. I'm not trying to flush out. I'm not trying to pound people over the head and saying, boy, there's got to be an ungodly person in here somewhere. Nothing to do with that. What I'm trying to lay out is we, 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 we never plan on being in a bad place. Alright, let me talk practically, please. Jariah, the man from CAM, who abused, I don't know how many people. Do you think he planned that? Back when he was young? You know, when I get old, Let's look at things honestly and speak practically. Do you think Chris planned to be where he's at today? It all starts from a mindset that we get. It all starts with a mindset that we get. I gave you two examples. And friends, I can't take time to say all your names, but all of us are an example to some extent. Or you get to a place where you say, how did I end up here? Uh, how many of you have gone on the internet? You started out with something that, you know, you were, you were reading about it, and then you clicked on that website, and then you click on that website, and then you're over here, and then something else is pulling you in saying, boy, did you hear about this? Miracle cure. And then soon you say, how in the world did I get here? That's how life comes at us. I've known people you have known well for years and there's secret sin. There's something going on inside. Probably no one knew. Maybe their wife knew. No one knew. It might be lust. It might be anger. It might be covetousness. It might be pride. It might be rebellion. But in spite of sin, there was a continued deep interest in spiritual things. A deep commitment in following spiritual paths. We're not saying people that threw everything out and ran into the sin that they were in. It's people who were deeply dedicated to a sacrificial life in following the Lord. But there's a secret sin. Look at examples in Scripture. It's so easily to become a calloused Christian. Someone who says, I'm doing so many things for the Lord. I've done so many things for the Lord. And we stop praying, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do in every area of my personal life? How I think, how I act, how I live. Every area, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Stop praying that. 
and look at the dedication we've given to the Lord and excuse the secret sins in our lives that no one knows about. Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. She again bare his brother and Abel. Brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. So Cain came first. Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel, and to his offering. But unto Cain, and to his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, thou shalt, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. Now why God rejected Cain's offering has been many times disputed. Um, some people say, well, it should have been a lamb. Uh, it should have been the first fruits. Uh, hey, I, I don't know. I'm not here to try to jump into the fray of that. But this one thing I do know. The Lord had respect unto Abel first and then to his offering. And the Lord did not have respect to Cain. And that's why he did not have respect for his offering. It says it right there. And why didn't have... Why didn't God have respect unto Cain, which resulted in not accepting the offering? Because he said, if you're not doing well, let me tell you something, sin is lying at the door. It, it, it didn't say sin has taken over you. You're being run by sin. You're being ravaged by sin. Your house is being ruled by sin. It just said, Sin is lying at the door and you need to take care of it, King. You got a secret sin. There's a fellow up uh northern Minnesota when it gets cold. They have a dog. And it's actually a lab. And I don't know how they trained this lab. But they trained this lab that when it gets cold, they'll let him inside the door. And they have a rug that's just a small rug by the front door. They will open the door. The dog will come in and will stay on the rug. He won't put a paw on the linoleum or anywhere else. Only on the rug. And he'll lay there till morning and they'll let him out. I'm like, how do you train a dog, especially a lab, to come in and just be right, just inside the door, no more? Um, we've trained sin that way too many times. I don't think there's any exception. You'll never let it rule your house. You'll never even let it rule in a room of your life. But you'll leave it just inside the door. You won't take your foot and kick it out. We're done with that. Friends, to obey is better than sacrifice. I believe Cain's smelled better. That's just my opinion. I can smell grain a lot better than the flesh and the hair of a sheep burning, right? We had grain, and I believe it was larger than a small sheep. It's not going to work. No matter how big that offering 
no matter how big the sacrifice that he is making, God is saying, look, Cain, I told you about this. Sin is lying at the door. You can't have it there. you got to kick it out. To obey is better than sacrifice. That happens in the New Testament as well. Turn to 1 Samuel 15. In the New Testament, Jesus said, Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's why it is so important. I don't care what name you have above your door. It is so important that we say, Lord, show me what wilt thou have me to do. And that we take this word and put it into our lives and follow it. It is so important. Because he said, many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Now, this is amazing. It is in Jesus' name. So they are a living sacrifice for Him. They are doing incredible things of service for Him. Incredible. They are reaching people that the others aren't. They, they are an incredible sacrifice for Jesus. And Jesus says, Depart from Me, ye workers of... And that word is iniquity. Sin lieth at the door. That's not going to work. You call me master and obey not. You call me light and see me not. You call me way and walk not. You call me life and desire me not. You call me wise and follow me not. You call me fair but love me not. You call me rich and ask me not. You call me eternal and seek me not. You call me gracious and trust me not. You call me noble and serve me not. You call me mighty, but honor me not. You call me just, but fear me not. If I condemn you, blame me not. That's sobering. It's easy to believe, friends, that sacrifice for the Lord trumps Obedience, especially to trivial things. Our culture has taught us, and I'm talking Mennonite culture, what we're in right here, has taught us to sacrificially live for the Lord. And what I'm preaching is, is there are many who do. But sin is allowed just inside the door. And no one knows. The lust, the thought life, it's all really crucial, friends. It's all really, really crucial. What we allow into our lives, what we are doing to others, well, no one will know. How will will anyone know if I tell that telemarketer off because I get sick and tired of telemarketers? You know what? Sin's lying at your door. Well, I just was in a bad mood. You call me master and obey not. If I condemn you, blame me not. There's a man who felt sacrifice was better than obedience. First Samuel chapter 15. I need to run through this quickly. 
It says in verse 3 to Saul, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And this is the command. A lot of times we change the command to say, should have said this or it did say this, but this is the command. And spare them not. Okay? So the command was spare them not. Now you will read later the Amalekites, some of them got away. You'll read about the Amalekites later. So the command, what it entailed was there's going to be some that probably get away. But the ones that you catch, you're not to spare anyone. Alright? That's the command. It's plain and simple. Verse 9. Saul and the people spared Agag. The exact same word. Spared Agag and the best of the sheep and oxen of fatlings of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuse, that they destroyed utterly. Verse 22. Sorry. Verse 21. But the people, Saul explaining himself, took of the spoil sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. So, again, can you picture Saul? I can picture Saul. I think Saul's last name was Miller. Or no, actually, <laughs> it was a Shrock. No, actually it was a Hershey, wasn't it? Or was it Troyer? It was all of us. Lord, my intentions were really, really, really good. Really good. How can you question an intention of sacrificing all these things to the honor and glory of God? My intentions were really, really good. But the real question is, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Because I, I deceive myself so easily with intentions. I, I needed to be married because of that fact, right? And some of you did too. Your wife can help you say, oh, no, 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 no. Are you sure you're looking at that right? Right? Your intentions may be good and you got everything figured out in your mind. But your wife can help come alongside of you and say, uh, are you sure your intentions are what you think they are? David, the man after God's own heart, the man that was better than Saul, well, he wouldn't have fell into that trap. Actually, he did time and time again. Sacrificing. And now I don't need to obey. Um, First Corinthians gives a, a state, sorry, First Chronicles, um, chapter 13, if you have time to turn there. They were bringing the Ark of the Covenant out, and they were going to bring it to Jerusalem. And it says, First Chronicles 13, verse 7, they carried the Ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab, and Yuza and Ahio, I love those names, drove the cart, and David and all Israel played before God with all their might, with singing, with harps, with psalteries, with timbrels, with cymbals, and with trumpets. Uh, this was quite a scene. They were really worshiping the Lord. There was deep interest in spiritual things. Did they have ill intent? I don't think they did at all. There was a deep interest of sacrifice for the Lord, deep interest in spiritual things. And you know the story. 
the it tipped a little. Yuzo went to steady it. God struck him dead. He was one of the drivers of that cart. They took it to the nearest house and they said, Hey, we can't bring it any farther. This isn't going to work. And it says actually David was scared of God. Now, in First Chronicles 15 is the part that I really want to read. After a time, the man's house was blessed and David said, Let's bring that Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the Ark of God. Pitched for it a tent. Then David said, None, listen to this, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring the ark of the Lord unto his place, which he had prepared for it. You understand what he's thinking. Obedience is better than sacrifice. He had great intentions of worship. That don't excuse this thing of sin lying at the door. Of, yeah, you know, the Levites technically should only carry it. But can you imagine having these this nice cart? Fix up a really nice cart. Let's have a band there playing that you can't imagine. And we're going to really praise the Lord through this. But David learned. David was willing to recognize... And he said in Psalms, Thou delightest not in sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desirest, thou hast no pleasure in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. I want you to picture with me a connected Christian, one who's young in the faith, who's not walking perfectly, but his heart is broken of himself and his own desires. And he really says, Lord, I want this word real in my life. What wilt thou have me to do? How do you want me to live? Do I need to get rid of things that are causing me to stumble? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That's what David was saying. That kind of heart he will never despise. The calloused heart he will. Friends, somebody is going to pay. You know, I look at Jariah's situation and he's paying a dear price. There are some people in our circles that didn't pay that price in this lifetime, but their children did. What I'm saying is no one else knew. Never came out. But that mother left a legacy that those children paid for for many years to come. That father left a legacy. And what was it? It wasn't a lack of sacrifice. It wasn't a, a lack of pouring themselves out and, and trying to do things for Christ. It was because sin lied at the door. And they didn't admit that to obey is better than sacrifice. He goes on to say in the same psalm, <clears throat> He said, Thou delightest not in sacrifice, but then he said, Behold, or look at this, Thou desiredest truth in the inward parts. That's what he desires. It's, it's not a grand show of, boy, look how spiritual I'm performing. Look, I've served under CAM for 14 years. I'm not diminishing that at all. God bless the missionaries. God bless the people in Greece and Thailand and wherever all. 
in South America and wherever. God bless the missionaries. But friends, what God is looking for is not just people who are willing to sacrifice. First of all, He is looking for people who are willing to be honest about what's really in their own heart. Anger. Lust. Covetousness. Are they affecting us? God despises disobedience. That's why death came upon mankind. That's why Jesus Christ came to this earth to give His life. To die on the cross, to be raised the third day. To make a way for the disobedience of mankind to be forgiven. To make a way that us who have had sin lying at the door can kick it out of the door because He has given us the Spirit to be more than conquerors, as His Word says. And we can live in victory. We don't have to live with, well, as long as we got 98% right, and as long as you think I'm okay, and I think I'm okay, surely we're going to be okay. And He'll say, you worker of iniquity. you got sin lying at your door. I have more notes, but I think it's time to bring this to a close. I only share this message as a wake-up call. Friends, it's too easy in our circles to be a calloused Christian. And what God is looking for is a connected Christian. Someone who knows Hey, he probably don't have it all together, but one thing I know, the man's been with Jesus. You know, when I heard the news of Jariah's situation, and friends, that is what people are throwing at us. And angry at the Mennonite church, see how you hide things? And we too easy say, we don't hide things, right? Put up those walls back. I, rather than throwing rocks back and forth, friends, I believe it's a wake-up call for every one of us. Every one of us can make it personal in our lives when sin lies at the door. It's going to take you farther than you want to go. It's going to cost you more than you want to pay. And it's going to keep you longer than what you want to stay when sin lies at the door. We have to come back to giving up this idea that sacrifice somehow pulls me through and say, like David, you desire truth in the inward parts. Obedience is better than sacrifice. There was a situation that I read about of Iwo Jima. A brutal war. They had a little island, a volcanic island, actually, that was... It was covered in ash, and they, you would liken the landscape of that place to the moon. I mean, there was nothing there but ash and dust. For that tiny but vital piece of land, we paid the price of 21,000 casualties of our army to take that tiny island. 21,000 casualties. For the men who took it, 
It was never a question of a feeling. Are we adequate? Do we have the courage or lack of it? They took that island because of one reason. Obedience to a command. One reason. Obedience to a command. If we get foggy about what the command is, and we're just serving, life gets pretty confusing. I think we need to bring it back to the core issue when God says you must be holy. We must live in obedience to the command. Just like those men of Iwo Jima, they didn't question, boy, are we really able to do that? They looked and they said, this is a command. I'm there. I'm there. Whether it cost me my life, I'm there. If you're able to, would you kneel for prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we live in a time that is tumultuous. Lord, we cringe when situations come that seemingly allow the enemies of God to blaspheme your people and your name. And Lord, I just pray you would give us wisdom. You would help us to wake up when sin is lying at our own heart's door. Or we realize again this morning the importance of choosing our path of holiness and leaving the destiny to you. And Lord, that we would be guided by your hand and Lord, that each of us would truly be open and be honest about what you have spoken into our lives. And Lord, that we would be a people of action, not a people of just discussion. Lord, I pray work at your um, miracle in our lives and keep us on the path that is um, holy and a path that is passionate in serving you. In Jesus' name, amen.